Hey everybody, it's Todd. If you happen to be new to Zen Parenting Radio, you might not know that our motto for every single podcast is this. The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. So we're hosting the Let's Get Real conference on March 11th and 12th. Kathy and I are bringing eight dynamic speakers, 12 amazing vendors, and upwards of 300 to 400 parents from around the country together for this amazing two-day event. We created this community to help us all be the best parents we can be. It's taking place at the Westin in Lombard, Illinois, which is just outside of Chicago. But we're close to selling out for the first day of this two-day conference, so get registered today by going to zengetsreal.com. We really hope to see you there. And now, on with the show. All right, here we go. My name is Todd Adams. And this is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. Um, If you're new to Zen Parenting Radio, this is uh, a podcast that we do twice a week. And today we have a special guest, and his name is John O'Sullivan. And he's going to talk to us a lot about sports and kids and things like that. Um, and competition um, and empowerment. We uh, just talked about all these words. That's right. So among other things. And um, so Zen Parenting Radio, it's a uh, discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom and a logical and practical dad. We have three daughters, ages 11, 10, and 7. And our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent, but more importantly, to become a better you. And always remember our motto. And what's that, sweetie? The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Well done. Nice job. Yes, thank you. Thank you. You get an applause for that. Thank you. So John O'Sullivan's here, and uh, John started the Changing the Game Project in 2012 after two decades as a soccer player and coach on the youth, high school, college, and professional level. He brings to the table a wealth of practical hands-on knowledge garnered through years of working with players and their families on sports-specific development, fitness, and nutrition, college recruiting, and most importantly, nurturing positive, healthy, and supportive relationships between parents and their young athletes. And that's why we wanted to have him on. Absolutely. That last part. Uh, He has compiled much of this information in his number one best-selling book, Changing the Game, The Parent's Guide to Raising Happy, High-Performing Athletes and Giving Youth Back to Our Kids. Uh, John received his BA in History from Fordham University and his master's in history from the University of Vermont. He resides in beautiful Bend, Oregon with his wife, Dr. Lauren O'Sullivan, and two wonderful children, Maggie Shea and Tiernan. So, John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. No problem. So, in preparation, got to be honest, let's come clean. We listened to um, or we watched uh, John's TED Talk. um, This morning. This morning on the way to yoga. I had to get his message back in my head because I know his (laughs) message. So, I want to tell you this, John. I we had been using your words before we even knew they were your words. Right. And I think I stole them too. I'm a coach. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> That's right. Well, we would say we had a podcast a long time ago. I don't even know what number it is. We didn't prepare this, but we um where we said you know, the best thing you can say to your kid is, which is your line. I love watching you play. I love, I love watching, watching you. Now, is that your whatever. line? No, I, I mean, can it, isn't that in the Bible? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's. Yeah, I've had some people. Uh, claim that that was, you know, that that idea is theirs. But I've met, you know, I always give credit that I learned it from a man named Bruce Brown, um, who I I love and is a great mentor and friend of mine. And um, but 
I think if you go to any psychologist or, you know, anyone who works with sports and say, you know, what can you tell your kids? They would all say that mm -hmm. regardless of whether they heard of me or Bruce or anyone else. So you know, telling your kids that you love them is a very logical and it's been around forever. <laughs> and yet it's so interesting when even when I heard it, I thought that is what's the word that's profound you know simple. like simple and and so and i guess a question i'd have for you is do you get pushback on that do people say that can't be what i you kind of talk about that in your ted talk a little bit but do people you know do people say that can't really be what i'm supposed to say to my kid well the the line that i always sort of toe is this idea of can you love your kids? Can sports be enjoyable? And can it also be competitive? And I think that the biggest mistake is this misconception that enjoyment and competitive sports or play and competitive sports yeah. have nothing to do with each other and they have everything to do with each other. And so the idea for a parent to separate your love of your child um, – from their sports performance, from whether their team won or lost, yeah. is the most important thing you can do because that allows the experience to belong to them. Mm. And out of that comes intrinsic motivation to do better and out of that comes enjoyment. And without those things, kids aren't going to play. They're not going to keep playing. Talent doesn't matter if they don't like it. Absolutely. And so, um, so just as a parent, you know, this doesn't mean every single time they step off the field and if they've totally, you know, not put in a great effort, you have to pretend it was a great effort. But all I'm saying is that your demeanor has to separate sports from your unconditional love of your child. And that's how you raise competitive athletes. Absolutely. Well, what's interesting, and then the other side to this, is that there are examples of those parents who pushed and pushed and ended up becoming NFL players or major their league baseball did. players yeah. or whatever. Yeah, their children did. And there's a lot of parents that will point the finger at that example, say, see, that's what you need to do. What do you, what's your response to that? And for every Tiger Woods or Andre Agassi or whatever, there's tens of thousands, probably millions of kids who didn't make it. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the saddest things to see in sports is you turn on the Olympics and there's this amazing athlete on the podium getting a medal and there's mom crying in the stands like, oh, and her dad's not here because he's got a restraining order against him. You know, <laughs> like, you know that's, I mean, what? sports outcome could be worth losing your relationship with your child mm. and and a far more productive path and a far more light a path that's more likely to produce high performing athletes is ones where you are their supporter and that you're supporting their goals and you're helping them achieve their goals not not chasing your own goals your through own your dreams. kids. Yeah. Well, and I love the examples you gave because look at what happened Tiger Woods imploded. Andre Agassi. I mean, I'm not talking about their talent. I'm talking about internally. Andre Agassi wrote a book where he talked about how he imploded. Well, he, his first three words of his book are, I hate tennis. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> so there's someone who got all the fame, all the money, all the notoriety and hates hates yes. the sport. Now, Tiger Woods and Andre Agassi and the Williams sisters also have, let's face it, they have freak genetics. True. I mean, you know, the idea that, well, you can buy your way or just practice your way you know, your body is your destiny. Yeah. And so that's what my yoga teacher tells me when I can't touch my toes. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, you know, I think that it's such an important thing to realize that those, the, the elite, elite, elite athletes, 
athletically, genetically, the, there's a baseline there right. that, um, you know, it's unlikely if you're, you know, dad's five, six and mom's five feet tall that your kids are going to play in the NBA, yeah. no matter how much they love it, no matter how much they practice, it's probably not going to happen mm -hmm. just because of the physical traits needed to play. doesn't mean they can't love and enjoy basketball, but, um, so, you know, Tiger Woods probably would have been good at a lot of things. Yeah. Andre Agassi would have been good at a lot of things. And, and really what we've lost sight of is that a lot of these top professional athletes were very good at lots of sports growing up yeah. and then decided, you know, Roger Federer was an unbelievable great soccer player. Steve Nash was a great soccer player and started playing basketball at 13. Yeah. So they, they find a sport that they become passionate about and chase after it later. But growing up, they're just great athletes doing lots of stuff. Right. It wasn't like their parents had them in a class when they were two and then kept them on the traveling team and then made sure they only focused on that. Because like you said, uh, one of the things that you talk about is, um, you know, sometimes we our kids try a sport, they love it, they're good at it. And then they're like, OK, I'm ready to try something else. And the coach says, no, yeah, you have no, to stick you around. You got to stick around. And it's such a such a destructive thing at and i'm not saying at in high school or even in middle school if a child wants to pursue one sport and it's it's their pursuit that they can't do that that's that's fine mm -hmm. but when you're telling 7 year olds that you have to if you want to be part of this you have to dedicate 10 months a year and you can't do anything else does that happen a lot i think it does i think it does and it it's sad and and then what happens is Parents who want their kids to do multiple sports and kids who want to do multiple sports, they become multi-sport specialists, which means they go straight from soccer practice to basketball practice yeah. or they swim before school and do that. And so now you're losing time for school. Now you're losing time for friends. Now you're losing time for your family. And, and it just drives families crazy. Um, we just did a podcast recently on a movie called Whiplash. Did you see Whiplash? I have not. Okay. John, you, you know, this, and I'm, and I'm saying, I just saw it too. So okay. it's not like, you know, you're behind. I just watched it on iTunes. It just came out. But the, the premise of the movie is there's a teacher that's really harsh and cruel and uses fear to teach. Mm -hmm. And what ends up, you know, I'm not really ruining anything here because this is discussed in the media, but what ends up happening at the end is the kid is good. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people had asked me to watch that movie just because they're like, see, it's basically what we talked about, you know, five minutes ago that this guy pushed him. He was cruel to him. He slapped him. He he talked negative to him. He ripped him apart about his family history. He was awful. But the kid became good. And so people point to that and say, see. And, but, and then we played the clip in the movie yeah. where he's at his dinner table and the kid has no friends. I mean, he's he is a one-dimensional human being. He is not a whole person. He's not a whole person. And... I think us parents um, sometimes get a little crazy with a certain goal in mind, and it's it, it's at at what expense does that goal happen? I think that's the question that we parents have to ask ourselves. Well, I mean, you can also successfully pull your tooth with a shot of whiskey. Um, <laughs> it doesn't mean it's the best way to do it, exactly. You know? And yes. and and that's the thing is, you can certainly coach or teach from a place of fear and intimidation, but in terms of long term getting the most out of the most people mm -hmm. you know the the counter to that is so are you saying that this is the only way that right. works could you not have gotten that same result by pushing that child positively mm -hmm. yes um by becoming a, a trusted mentor and a friend versus someone that they're scared of because yes you can get that and i'm not saying that that doesn't happen right. and i'm also this is not about 
that coaches or, or teachers shouldn't push people or get them out of their comfort zone. They should. That's their job. But there's ways to do that in a way that the kids respect you for doing it. Now, they don't have to love you while you're doing it. But if you care about them genuinely, genuinely as a person first, um, then then you can push them and you can do that. But so many coaches come from a place of just fear yeah. without establishing that relationship first. And then, you know, a lot of kids walk away and, and break down. They say, oh, they're just not tough enough. And it's like, well, would you want your boss to treat you that way? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, that's the thing is these these coaches, maybe they were coached this way. Or we can we can broaden this. Really, your message is we find your message to kind of make sense for parenting, to make sense for yeah, – It's not about sports. The workplace. Yeah, it's about how do you treat people? It's almost metaphorical for how you live a life. But it's these, these coaches or parents, are, it, they're unwilling to look at how they were affected by their experience and they're just regurgitating and repeating their experience or maybe heightening it mm-hmm. who knows yeah um is that what you find oh, definitely i mean i always you know i do workshops for coaches and i ask them to list uh, the five qualities of the best coach they ever had and no one ever lists you know demeaned and dehumanized me you know no yeah. no one ever does that but then it's like well what does your coaching look like those five things and i, I you know i think a lot of coaches today are sadly put under way too much pressure mm. to win instead of develop players um, to only play the kids you're going to help them win versus let everyone play. And, and again, this is not about not being competitive. I mean, I was a you know I was a college athlete. I was a professional athlete. Yeah. I was a Division One college coach. All I've done is is work with competitive athletes, but to to scare them or to make kids sit on the bench and never get in because you're chasing after some trophy at nine years old that doesn't make kids competitive that makes them bitter it makes them quit and so this is what we have to sort of shift this paradigm in in sports of what what, everything that has become conventional wisdom about this is how you drive them to to be great is so outcome focused that we've lost the process of of you know excellence focused, you know, getting a better every day, leaving a place for failure, leaving a place for creativity and mistakes. One of the best things in your TED talk uh, that I noticed is that, I don't know, I, I, I get mad at parents very easily. <laughs> Todd puts on his judgment hat. I judge. I love to judge. <laughs> and I, we've all seen them. And maybe I've been this, this soccer dad at one point or another, but I'm pretty low key dad. Really? But uh, the fact that they, in your TED Talk, you're like, you know, these parents act as if they're in the Game 7 of the NBA Finals or (laughs) Game 7 of the World Series, as if it's so important. And my question is, why does that happen? What is that? What is that? Um, You know, I think it's a lot of things. You know, number one, I, I think institutionally in every sport, we have done a very poor job educating parents on how to help Mm. we're very good at saying don't do this don't do that sign this you know worthless code of conduct that we're not going to hold you accountable for and and parents just want to help and they're the most influential people in a kid's life so why not teach them how to help Mm. so that's what we do at the change the game project is we go in and say here's how you can help your kids while still letting your coach coach and letting the experience belong to your kids So, you know, then they go to the games and they feel all this pressure. You know, I I think a lot of 
youth sports, the overwhelming emotion is fear. Yeah. It's fear that if I don't do this, my kid's falling behind. My mm. child is going to not make it. And now I'm a bad parent because I didn't do this for my kid. And instead of saying, well, actually, my child's the one who has to want to make it themselves. Right. And so then we go to the game and we see our kids not playing well. And we look at that as like, this is a very poor reflection of my DNA. That's totally. Right. That's it. Right That's there. it. That's what I you think know. too. And then we get upset yeah. and, and we want to fix it. Yeah. Instead of just saying, no, this is actually how people learn and yes. it's okay. And, you know, we don't develop on a straight trajectory. We go up and down and, you know, some is good and some is bad, but, you know, failure is a part of learning. That and is. so if we would just take that deep breath and say, my Kids are supposed to fail. They're supposed to mess up. And as long as that failure is not, you know, so horrific that they can learn from it, then they're going to be better for this. But if we just protect our kids from failure over and over and over, if we pluck them out of every difficult situation, if we, I like the phrase, the the lawnmower parent who just mows down all the obstacles, right? If we just mow down all the obstacles, they don't learn anything. So good, tough coaches and tough teachers are good things, not bad things. They Not only do they not learn anything, but they're, even the parent doesn't learn anything about themselves because something we talk about on the show a lot is how your children are really a wonderful mirror for you, right? You know, they, they kind of show you all the parts of yourself that you may not have fully evolved or realized or recognized about yourself. And standing at a soccer game or at a basketball game or wherever and watching your kid play and watching them either quote-unquote fail or not do as well as maybe the rest of the kids, there's a big self-awareness piece there about what's most important to me right now. What do I value the most? Is it that I want my kid to be that extension of me or is it that I want to be the parent I want to be and support my kid in, in understanding their value and worth? And that takes a lot of self-awareness that takes some mindfulness that takes some ability to take a deep breath you know it's it's similar to even though it's not exactly the same when your kid has a tantrum and target you know people always say well that just can't happen i can't allow that to happen you know i got to stop them and actually it's got nothing to do with you you know your child is having a tantrum and target and your job is to support them in getting through it mm-hmm. and so you know, I just find this to be such a reflection of us. You know, it, obviously, it's about how to make help our kids succeed in in the you know definition of success, being a whole person. But also, it's a good reminder for us to look at our own behavior. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And there was a study out of Europe, and I I need to find it again. I read it a long time ago. It's the only one of its kind where they actually looked at parental behavior and goals and aspirations for their kids and they found that the parents who felt like they had not achieved everything they should have in life were the ones who were acting out more or the ones who were over the top with their kids and the ones who were very comfortable with what they had achieved especially athletically Mm -hmm. the ones who were professional players the ones who were olympic athletes said I'm going to let this experience belong to my kids because I know how hard it was to get where I got. Mm. And I don't really expect my kids to do that. But if they want to, it's got to be because they want to, not because I want them to. And so there was in this one study, this correlation between unfulfilled parental dreams and over-the-top parenting. Oh, that's amazing. I I so – think that that is right on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's challenging to watch. But anyway, Ty. So um, I love giving our listeners tips, resources, things that they can do. Obviously, resources. We're going to talk about your book at the end of the show. But 
Um, the one thing that is very powerful that we already talked about is I love watching you play. Another tip, which I pulled out from your TED Talk, is the car ride home after a sporting event with your kid. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And and again, I give great credit to my friend Bruce Brown, who has done this research. And I think some other organizations have done similar research now. But what they've looked at is they've asked kids what is your worst memory of sports? And the number one answer is the ride home after the game with mom and dad. Mm. Um, Because this is this time when they're physically and emotionally exhausted. Mm. And yet we've got them locked in the car and we're stuck in traffic and we've got guaranteed FaceTime and we choose this to be the teachable moment. And what kids tell us a lot is that this is the least teachable moment. Mm -hmm. So what I advise people to do is, is just ask your kids, it, it let them bring it up. If they want to bring up the game after, talk about it. When they put it to rest, put it to rest. But if you are the one who are always bringing it up and you're using this opportunity to critique them and criticize the coach and, you know, you know why did, you know, why did Kathy get to, you know, play center forward? Yeah. She's, she's, you know, you should be playing up there. It becomes really destructive. Hmm. And so, Unless your kids do something that you wouldn't allow at home if they start a fight or spit on someone or whatever, just let that time belong to them. There's plenty of other teachable moments, but the car ride's not really a great one. Do you have any personal examples of how you didn't follow your own advice? <laughs> the karate yes. chap story? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I did this with my with my son um, when he started playing soccer. And you know, so here I am, the, the pro player and the college coach coaching five-year-olds and <laughs> – we walk out on the field and it's for his first game and he just turns and goes, Dad, I don't want to play. And he walks off and I'm like, ah, okay, you know, whatever. But when he did it the second week, I was totally embarrassed. I'm like, what are people thinking of me? What's wrong with my kid? And he's fine. He found a lizard or a cricket or something. He's like totally happy. I love it. Um, yeah, so we get in the car after the game, and I was going to say something to him, and I started saying something. My wife karate chopped me. She's like, really? Didn't you just write a whole book about this stuff? Oh, that's and, great. And uh, she was right, and I said nothing, and he played the next week, and he played ever since. So, Well, and that's an example. Pardon the interruption, folks. We'll get back to the interview in just a sec. But first, I want to tell you about our amazing partners. Jay Smith is a friend of ours and president of McGill First Aid Kit. Jay put together the ultimate family first aid kit containing everything his family and yours might need. Items for burn relief, bandages for all kinds of cuts, top of the line tweezers, eye wash, cold compresses, you name it. It even has a car sickness bag for those tough road trips. So here's the deal. Go to mcgillfirstaidkit.com to buy your $70 kit for just $65 and that includes free shipping. Just make sure you enter the code ZENCODE. Hunter Clark Fields is a mindfulness mama mentor. She coaches smart, accomplished, overstressed moms on how to create mindfulness in their daily lives. Hunter has over 20 years of experience in yoga and mindfulness practices and has taught thousands worldwide. She does one-on-one coaching and she also has the Present Mama community. It's a subscription service where you get access to an ever-growing library of high-quality yoga practices, guided meditations, and mindful parenting lessons. It includes a community forum and a live group coaching call. Check out presentmamacommunity.com. Now, back to the interview. You played ever since, so. Well, and that's an example. I mean, you've dedicated your life towards this message, and it's easy. I should probably give parents a break. It's so easy to get caught up, isn't it? Is. it? 
totally. And and especially that. I mean, I think it's one of the hardest things because we strive for FaceTime with our kids and there it is. They are locked. They are not going anywhere. And we think we got them. And, and what the kids are telling us is, please, not now. And so um, this is this is our this is our challenge. And I think, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of parents, they don't do things out of spite. They do things out of love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Their intention is good. Their intention is, is great. And, and my friend Dan Safferstein's a psychologist in Ann Arbor. And he says he says uh, we all love our kids. Sometimes we just don't love them in helpful ways. That's <laughs> and right. So. Um, that's what I think this is hmm. a perfect example of. And you know what? I relate to, you know, the sporting, you know, getting them in the car and then wanting to talk to them about the game. And I always tell parents it's the exact same when you pick them up from school. That obviously there's a natural like, you know, you know, hi, how are you? How was your day? But then there's something very powerful in being quiet mm-hmm. because it's the same kind of decompression. After a day of school to have your mom or dad or who's ever picking you up say, how was that test? How'd you do? How was your friend? Did this happen? You are so white already. And what's really great is um, what I hope that my kids are getting, and I don't always do this perfectly because I'm a talker, but is that downtime and quiet time not only is good for you, but it's safe with me. Mm-hmm. Meaning like we don't have to talk and we're still together. See, a lot of times we feel like we have to blah, 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 blah. And that's the way we're connecting. Right. Connection can come through quiet too. Yeah. We have to fill fill that space. Yeah. It's, it's such a, it's so true. And yeah. I think that, um, Another piece of advice I heard someone describe recently, and I think it's very, very powerful, is we're so caught up in everything our kids are doing these days because we're driving them to four different sporting events and all this extracurricular stuff and all this sort of crazy lives that they lead that um, many parents, what they realize, if, if you sit back and realize, what is most of your conversation and your relationship with your kids based around? 90% of it is talking about sports yeah. or school. Well, guess what? Sports might be over in a couple of years. Hmm. Do you have a relationship with your son or your daughter that has nothing to do with sports? Amazing. Because if 90% of your conversation is sports, what are you man, you're about? in trouble. Yeah. You're in trouble. There's nothing, there's no common connection anymore. And I, I know when I heard that, I mean, that hit me like a ton of bricks too. Like really to take the time to say, what are we talking about what are my kids interests that you know i might i couldn't care less about but i better be interested in those because they care about Mm -hmm. those those sort of things and making the time to you know go fly fishing and walk around the river with my son and roll over rocks and find bugs and talk about bugs right (laughs) well i I never even thought about that but you're right if if and when the kids because what what's the stat you said in uh the ted talk as far as how many kids quit by a certain age yeah it's about three out of four by 13 wow which is crazy and i just i've never even thought about it that way but if and when sports goes away and you've based your entire relationship on talking about soccer football or baseball and that goes away and even like from a father-son thing like i i just think that that's it's such a cornerstone of a relationship and if and when that goes away you need to come up with something else to come up with and it's just not an easy thing well there's a natural way like my my oldest daughter is playing viola and to our to todd and my surprise she really loves it like it was one of those things where oh it's time to pick an instrument you don't know if it's going to stick or not and we we have nothing to do you with just viola hope it fits in the back of your car exactly yeah, right. i'm like okay the rental fee is what um, so she's playing it and she really loves it and yesterday we did something where we got something for her viola and she was so excited and it was so fun to say 
similar to I like to see you play. It's so fun to watch you enjoy something. And then at the back of my head, I had that moment of, okay, and you know, that's all I'm going to say because she may be done with viola in a year or two. And whatever she picks up next, I want to be able to say, it's so fun to see you enjoy art class or it's so fun to see you enjoy it. Maybe she'll choose, she's in sports, you know, in, in the fall. And, and instead of being focused on the thing, we're focused on them and their enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or the fact that, I mean, when you think, you know, really aside from American football, yeah. every sport that kids play is really a lifelong sport. I mean, you can play hockey or soccer or basketball into your 50s or, or 60s maybe. Yeah. yeah. So when we treat 11-year-olds like, oh, you're not cutting it right now, you're, you're out. <laughs> oh, my Just God. Like it's they got crazy. 40 years left to play that game. And uh, my friend this morning we had breakfast with, he said, you know, we all end up in the beer league eventually. Yes, right. <laughs> totally. So, uh, you know, so it's like when we treat kids who maybe don't have that passion for soccer or maybe the ability that we got to get rid of them instead of saying, well, how can I nurture a fan of the game and someone who will keep playing this mm-hmm. for 40 more years because they love it, that this is where I think we lose huge opportunities. Well, it's funny because I've dabbled in soccer coaching, even though I never played it as a young person. I'm, I use it as a vehicle to connect with my daughters. But uh, what I learned in all the books is you just got to make the practice as fun as you can. And mm-hmm. I'm sure as you get older, it becomes a little more challenging to keep it fun. I don't know. Is it challenging to keep a 15-year-old soccer practice fun? I, uh, I I don't think so. Okay. Um, or even a Division One college, you know, how yeah, do you keep it fun? It's supposed to be fun. Now, I think players at that level start to understand that there are things that you're going to be asked to do that might not be your favorite thing mm-hmm. to do, yeah. but that you will do them for the good of the team and the good of your development. Mm-hmm. But But that doesn't mean that you can't create practice sessions and do activities within your practice that – the players don't like you know I, I love the analogy i just wrote a blog on on what sports can learn from video games and when you think about right now i think the stats are for teenage boys they play an average of 17 hours of video yeah. games a week i mean think about that what if your kid played 17 hours of sports they'd be a pretty good athlete wow. yeah and so what the video games do that sports doesn't right when kids you know play video games they're in control they're with their friends, either on the couch or online. Um, there's no parent standing behind them, micromanaging every decision they make or every time they get blown up. Um, and the video game makers incessantly ask the kids, how can we make this better for you? Yeah. you know, does that sound like sports? Mm-hmm. No, it's <laughs> no. about the adults. Yeah. Yes. We, you know... We split them away from their kids, their friends as soon as possible to put them on elite teams. Yeah. And we don't care about their enjoyment. And we harp on every mistake they make. And we never ask them, how can we make this better for you? Yeah. So that's why they play 17 hours of video games and not sports. We become so <laughs> ego motivated behind yeah. it. And like you said, the adults create it. You said when, when we met in LA, John, you said something to me that I laughed about and I've shared since. And I think we were talking about, you know, again, about motivating kids and does yelling at them on the sidelines, motivate them. And you said something to me about math class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, you, you don't, you don't feel compelled to go to the math test and yell at your kid to carry the one. <laughs> right? Like we've, we've, we've separated that mentally that that would not be helpful and not only would it be distracting for my kid but it would be distracting for 
all the other kids in the class. Yet we yeah. show up at the sports game and, you know, shoot, shoot, pass, kick. You know, yeah. you know why, why all of a sudden do we think that they can just tune that out? And then when something doesn't go, the, you know, the team's way or our child's way, we go, oh, and we're so disappointed. Imagine what a child, well, I can't imagine, you know, we've all had the experiences. Imagine what a child feels in that moment, the depletion of I just disappointed the person I love the most in the world. Yeah, and my coach, and and my, and, coach, yeah. and my friends' parents as well are angry at me too. I mean, like, where where else do we, you know, where else do we do that? Like, mm. when you don't finish your dinner, like you didn't eat your steak. <laughs> yes. My favorite Saturday, and this probably is all across the country, country, but ASO has Silent Saturdays. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, I'm like, oh, it's kind of stupid. I want to cheer and coach from the sidelines, and I have completely come full circle on that, and think that. And for those of you who don't know, is that the parents or coaches are not allowed to talk to the kids on the field. As they play. And I just adore that. I just love that. I don't know who came up with it, but it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and I think the the it's a great thing because here it is, it opens your eyes. And most people are like you. They go, this is dumb. You know, My kid needs me yeah. to cheer. <laughs> and then they show up and they realize that actually they don't. Yes. <laughs> um, but what I think what I think gets lost in that is what an incredible opportunity then to step in from an educational standpoint and teach parents why yeah. we did that and how they can be differently going forward because you've got their eyes open. Yeah. But we don't. We do Silent Saturday and then next Sunday is a disaster. Back to it. It's back totally. to the thing. That's so, and so true. This is where I think we, we, we turn this into a gimmick mm-hmm. instead of a – Teachable a paradigm moment. shifting event yeah. that 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 changed it. Now in Vancouver, BC, they just had um, a hockey league that just banned all the parents because they were losing all their referees and all the parents were you know they're fighting in the stands and everything. And for me, I thought this was a great thing because I truly believe that I'm going to just make up a number: ninety five percent of parents are fantastic. It's probably higher. Yeah. And it's the 5% mm. who incessantly yell at referees, who harass their own kid, who harass the opponent, opposing kids, who you know, start fights with opposing parents that ruin it for everyone. Yeah. And yet we let them continue to do that. Yeah. And so I look at this thing in Vancouver and say, what a great thing. Maybe the 95% will say, hey, you know what, Mr. Smith – I want to watch my kid play and you are preventing that right now. And so either you stop Mm -hmm. or leave, Mm -hmm. but either way I want to be there and we need the 95% to to, to, to take back sports. And Mm -hmm. that's what, that's the problem now is that there's too many, let's call it too many good people who do nothing. And so we, we let the, the, the 5% ruin it for everyone. Yeah. And, There's a quote. Yeah. What, do you remember the quote? Like the worst thing in the world is for good people to do nothing. Yeah. yeah. The indifference is yeah. what kills us. Yeah. It's the, or if it's not indifference, it's just the, you know, they may not feel indifferent, but they act indifferent. They act and indifferent, so, yeah. you know, it's being able to, and that's a hard thing to ask someone, you know, like I'm just thinking to myself, if I was at a game, what I always kind of focus on and try and meditate on is just role model, just yeah. role model. And, and, you know, obviously we, you know, get our voice heard by doing the show and trying to, you know, talk to people about these things and obviously learning from you. Um, but it's tough because some of the, like you said, some of those people who are the 5%, they can be scary. Very scary. And this is why it can't just be, 
one parent standing up on the sideline. It has to come not only from the group on the sideline, but from the organization yes. to say, you know, from a board level to an administration level to every coach, you know, this is not how we do things here mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get on board with that, we have to be willing to accept that we might lose players and we might even lose very good ones mm-hmm. in order to do things right. And and there's this great fear among organizations of, oh, I don't want to be the first one to do that because, you know, my business, the doors of my business might be shut down in a year. And, and yet I think, I truly believe that that's the type of environment that parents would rather be in. I yeah. mean, would you rather, when I, when I talk to parents about, um, what was what advice you wish you could give yourself ten years ago when your kids started sports versus now when they're going off to college? They they always say number one, it goes by really quickly, <laughs> and number two, I wish I knew what would be important. And the things that my kids remember is important. It's not that we won the you know ten year old super duper elite cup. They remember the fun car ride. They mm. remember a hotel room. Mm-hmm. They remember a funny team restaurant when uh you know they played the joke on their coach for his birthday or whatever Mm -hmm. that's what kids remember and then they also wrote you know what parents say is you know i also remember the the great role models that i surrounded my kids with but i also remember some of the bad ones and wish that i hadn't done that Mm. um because not every kid's going to be a college athlete or even a high school athlete but Every kid's going to grow up and need to get a job and need to have, you know work with others and, and needs that education of how to be a good quality person. And sports can sports can be that, but so oftentimes we ignore that part of the education because well, hey, that coach wins all his games, so exactly. maybe he demeans and bullies my kid, but. You know, I'm going to get that $3 trophy at the end of this thing. That's right. My kid's going to be a winner and therefore I'm a winner. Yeah. You know, it's this, you know. Exactly. I, f- I found the quote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Mm. So Churchill? true. Uh, Edmund Burke. Edmund Burke. Oh. I don't know. that history degree? Huh? <laughs> no, master's in history. <laughs> Does anybody know who Edmund Burke is? No. I've never heard of the dude. Um, but I have one. I don't know where we are in time, but I have we one question. We are running question. out okay. of time, So one, one of my last questions is another thing that I know you speak about is the whole idea of our children getting scholarships mm-hmm. and how how likely is it that children end up getting a scholarship and that's what pays for college. Yeah, it's, it's very unlikely. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you're – your young athletes can't try their very best and and be the best that they can be. But at the same token, so many things go into getting that scholarship and their love of their game and their motivation to train hard and then their motivation to go be a college athlete. It's really hard. I bet. I mean, people who say, oh, my kid's going to play in college. I'm like, do you know what that means? Like mm-hmm. that means that they get up in college at, at 6 a.m., to go to the weight room and then they de- may not take the classes that they want to take because they interfere with practice and they're on the road and they're doing this. And so, you know, from just the sheer numbers standpoint, you're talking about, you know, a single digit percentage of high school athletes go on to play a college sport. Mm, interesting. And only a small percentage of those actually get a scholarship. And outside of football and basketball, which are what we call full scholarship sports, mm-hmm. most scholarships are partial. Mm-hmm. And they're usually a combination of academics and athletics and stuff. And so the idea that 
that sports is an investment in with this financial payoff at the end is not it's just not realistic. It's not a very good investment. I That's mean, right. go to Vegas. The That's odds right. are the odds are probably better. Well, and yeah, the amount of money that you spend getting your kid to get that scholarship is, you know, I, I remember hearing that at some soccer clinic. Like, you know, the kid might end up getting two thousand dollars a year, but you spent fifteen grand in the last ten <laughs> yeah. to get this kid ready for this scholarship. I mean, and I, I hate to say fifteen would probably be a very small number. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about when you add in travel yeah. and hotels. Totally. And like this, I was just in um, Washington D.C. with my brother-in-law, and you know his son's a great little basketball player, but he's the last kid in his grade to grow, mm. so he's very small. But his dad's six three, his mom's five ten. The kid's going to be—he's going to be tall, player, eventually. yeah. But he's just not there yet, and so he loves basketball. And his winter one season ended, and winter two is starting now, and he's not going to play because. You know, he's on his club's B team in Washington, D.C., and if he wants to play in the spring, they're going to a tournament in Ohio and in North Carolina and in New Jersey. So they're traveling all over the place. Now, when I look at that and say that kid probably has 100 competitive games that he could play within a one-hour drive of his house. Yeah. yeah. And yet we've created an environment where if he wants to play, he needs to spend $1,000 in a weekend to go to Ohio. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that going to a tournament is a bad thing. It's a great experience. It's fun for the kids. But could he not play eight local games and then go to Ohio at the last weekend of the season as the big yeah. hurrah? That, to me, is a season that keeps kids in sports. We're creating more and more and more barriers yeah. for entry and for participation and and then we're weeding out kids way too young. Mm. Oh really my gosh, good. that is so true. And I, I have more questions, but we well, need. Well, we start. might have to get John back. Sometime. Okay, um, <laughs> okay. So we we have a list of kind of personal questions, not personal, but different fun questions. questions, fun questions. Okay. Um, so we're just going to write all these out. There's six of them. Okay, sweetie, you start. Who do you most admire? <laughs> Sorry, wow. put you on the spot. Holy and cow. you can say more than one person if you like. like just make sure it's really profound. <laughs> just kidding. So just kidding. Wow, I wish I got these ones ahead of time. <laughs> Holy cow. We're putting you on the spot. Um, or someone you, you admire. Know, I, 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 I admire my, my parents both mm-hmm. Ed, because I think they were a great team in raising me and my brother and my sister. Um, they were always honest, um, but they weren't afraid to under, you know, they weren't afraid to understand that. You know, sometimes you just needed a hug and not a mm. critique. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I loved my parents for that. Very, they set very the much. stage for your career. They, they set the stage, and I always appreciated my dad. If my dad told me I played well, I knew I played well. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of coaches who, you know, you're awesome. He's awesome. Everyone's awesome. Well, you know, what's that? The movie, The Incredibles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we make everyone a superhero, then no one's a superhero. Yeah. Right? So if everyone's awesome, no one's awesome. Question number two: What feels like love to you? What feels like love to me? Oh, I don't know, like a twenty-inch brown trout at the end of my fly line, maybe. Nice. <laughs> love it. Love there you go. It. No, you know, I, I, um, for me, I love more than anything just spending time with my family, and we do tons of of camping and and hiking and and stuff, and just like you know, sitting on a log at the side of a lake watching my my kids play and talking with my wife, like that to me is the perfect day in the perfect place. Nice. An outdoorsman with his family. Yeah. Okay, so this is one that Todd and I debate all the time. Star Wars or Wizard of Oz? Star Wars. There you go. (laughs) There you go. That's that's not even That's an easy one. Yeah. Um, What can you do today that you could not do a year ago? 
um, ah, man, well, uh, actually move around a year ago, I had a really bad ski crash and I broke my back. So sitting here at the table, I couldn't do a year ago. (laughs) Jeez Louise. Yeah. Do you you have, I mean, I know full recovery might sound strong, but do you feel? Yeah, no, I feel fine. I'm, I'm good, but it was a, it was a, it was a pretty bad crash in February of 2014. So yeah, sitting here without a brace on right now, I couldn't do a year. Gratitude, sweetie. Gratitude. Okay. So what do you know for sure about all people? I know all people have some good in them somewhere, mm-hmm. and I think we are far, sadly, far more likely to focus on the things that we're not good at or the people that have hurt us instead of all the people that have helped us mm-hmm. and and the, the bits of good in people. And so as a coach, I always looked for, you know, what does this player add to the group versus what do they take away? And yeah. what I've always been amazed about is when – you start focusing on their strengths, their weaknesses start to disappear. How about that? I Last and not least, what word brings you peace? Hmm. This may sound silly, but m- like mountains. Mm-hmm. Love the mountains. It's not silly at all. No, <laughs> I get it. I get yeah, it. Yeah. I, you know, I grew up in New York and went to college in New York City and then moved to Vail, Colorado. And I, I had, I went on this, uh, this, I went to a Catholic college and I went on this retreat uh, my senior year. And I had no idea what I was going to do. And on this retreat of, you know, weekend of meditation and prayer and everything, every time I closed my eyes, I just kept seeing snow-covered mountains. Mm-hmm. And so I walked out of there. I'm like, I'm... We're snow-covered mountains. Colorado sounds good to me, and I move there. So whenever, whenever I feel like the world come collapsing in on me, I just go climb and ski a mountain, or or hike, or find a river and go fish, and just sort of uh, that's my reset button. Nice. Ah, they call to you. That's so beautiful. So um, there's probably some people listening saying this guy's awesome. I want to know more about him. I want to um, find out how to go see him, how to get his book, read his blogs. Here's your chance. Um, my blog is changingthegameproject.com, and that's the best place to find me. Um, get on the email list, sign up for my blog. Um, I do Facebook through Change the Game Project, Twitter at Coach Johnny O, and then um, as far as the book goes, uh, you know, both my books you can find them on Amazon. You have two books. I, I have a second one called "Is It Wise to Specialize?" and it's just an ebook on early sports specialization. Nice. Um, but the main one, "Change the Game," you can find that at Barnes and Noble or Books a Million or any bookstore. And then the second book uh, is an ebook, and that's just on Amazon or, or my website. Nice. And it's changethegame.org, right, John? Uh, changing the changing game. Changing the project. Game. The game. Pro- I'm glad uh, I asked. Dot com. <laughs> Does she never listen? Never, never. <laughs> um, we're going to put all this on our show notes, yeah. too. Okay. And we'll link back to John's project. website. Okay, good, else. good. Thanks. Yeah, changingthegameproject.com or dot org will get you there, too. Got it. Thank what you, else? John. Anything else? That's it. Thank you guys for having me on. You guys were awesome. Oh, thank you, John. Do you like this baseball? Amazing. Yeah, I like that song. This is like my, this song just reminds me of my childhood. It's like one of my favorite songs. This is your this is your coach song. So that was John O'Sullivan. You're awesome. Thank you, buddy. We'll see you next time. Thank you, guys. That's our show, friends. We hope you felt outstanding. And if you want to continue feeling this outstanding, go to ZenParentingRadio.com and subscribe to the podcast. You can also subscribe via iTunes, and while you're there, feel free to give us a kind review. 
can email us at comments at zenparentingradio.com or you can record a voicemail by clicking on the send us a voice message link on our homepage with comments or questions. Don't forget our Zen Parenting Conference is on March 11th and 12th, 2016. For more details, go to zengetsreal.com. If you're interested in any of Kathy's three award-winning books, you can purchase through our website or through Amazon. We also do local presentations, virtual retreats, and movie screenings, which can be found by clicking on the events tab on our webpage. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. If you're interested in the tribe, the monthly men's group that I co-facilitate, you can go to thetribemensgroup.com for more details. Lastly, and most importantly, a special thanks to our three partners, Avid Company, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, and John J. Kelly Dentistry. If you own a business and are interested in partnering with us, please send me an email at comments at zenparentingradio.com. Finally, we're grateful for your support and encouragement. We only ask that you give the same to yourself and the people you love most. Until next time.